Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we are discussing Dutch Sheets' book, Intercessory Prayer, and we left off last week talking about revelation and how he equivocates on that term and really defending the position that God's word is his revelation to man. We can read it and understand it without some sort of secondary process. That's where we're going to pick up today. And on page 183, Dutch Sheet says this, They have much information, but little or no revelation. Revelation makes the scriptures spirit and life. John 6, 63. All right. Do you want to read for us John 6, 63? And then we are going to look at some other places in John to really explain where Dutch Sheets is going wrong with his view of revelation. Yeah, this this is essential. uh, I know we've been on Dutch Sheets for a while, but this is essential to understand what's wrong with a lot of churches that people realize have gone astray. This this really help you, okay? Okay. John 6.63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Okay. So let's just unpack that. The word Jesus said, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Right. So when we read those words in the Gospel of John or anywhere else, the it's the words that are spirit and life. Not the words could be spirit and life if you got serious enough and went and got into your prayer closet and tried to silence your mind or whatever it is you do. Eventually, you might get a revelation. Right. There's a pretty big difference between the words are spirit and life and revelation makes the scriptures spirit and life. Right. What we're seeing here is the idea that the Holy Spirit does come to us through the Bible. Okay. What pierces our hearts is the word, whether read or spoken, uh, that is the truth of the scripture. Yes. Okay. And that claim is very clear. Now, last week we were talking about uh, Dutch Sheets' misuse of John 5, where he's divorcing Scripture from Revelation itself. Okay. In other words, Scripture isn't Revelation, but it could become that if the right conditions are met. Right. Okay. But the Scriptures as we said last week, our revelation, so much so that they're binding and that will be judged based on them in the last day. Okay. Okay. And that's significant. Well, of course it is. Yeah. That's why we cannot equivocate on the idea that the Bible is the Word of God. Okay. As we said, the, the idea the Bible becomes the Word of God through some secondary experience is not evangelical. It's not conservative. It's liberalism. Right. And I don't care the new NAR 
uh, that she's associated with, their their political stances, whatever would seem conservative. Once you divorce the word of God from the Bible itself, and we can't trust the Bible, tell us the truth, is that we need a secondary experience. We've just joined the liberals, even if we are conservative in some other way. Right. And I can prove that uh, by showing how Brian McLaren, for example, uses the Bible as a liberal. I wrote an article about that. Yes. Okay, and that's uh, CIC issue 87, I believe, called okay. The Generous Orthodoxy. So that's what the issue is. Now, John 63 shows the spirit gives life. The flesh prophesies nothing. No, spirit and flesh are not anatomical parts within humans. And that's an important clarification. And we've actually had to discuss that a little earlier in this series. But do you want to just give us a, a quick review right. of that? Okay. The spirit is God speaking to the whole person through the scriptures. Yes. The flesh is the whole person alienated from God in darkness and unbelief. Okay. The issue isn't anatomical. Right. Part of the person is spirit. Part of the person is the flesh. And there's this war going on. But the whole person is either submitted to God by his grace through faith, believing the word of God, or alienated from God and living for self. Yes. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Okay. It's not from God. Okay. John talks about that in his epistle, First John. So again, more equivocation, more confusion, more bad teaching. Right. Okay. So we don't need, okay, The we get the word of God and we read the Bible, but now we got to go find what the revelation is through some secondary process. Right. And that's specific to the different person, too. Yeah, that's so they say. Yes. They say, but the words there will be judgment on the last day are the same words to everyone. Yes. Now, one thing we've been talking an awful lot about is the importance of reading all of these scriptures in context. And of course, John 6 follows John 5, which right. you were mentioning uh, between recordings here. So do you want to share with us what you were seeing in John 5? Yes, I think it if we could just deal with the passages he brings up. Yes. That will illustrate what's wrong with his whole process. Right. And we're not just picking on one guy. This is the entire movement. This would apply to the word of faith movement and it applies to new apostolic reformation. Okay. And in a different way altogether applies to emergent. That's a different thing. All right. Okay. So he cited John, 539. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. Yes. So we covered that. Well, let's continue on. Verse 40. But you are unwilling to come to me so you may have life. Jesus, the very eternal Logos, the creator, John 1, 1 through 18, who came into our world, who spoke the entire universe into existence, who is the uh, one 
who's the Messiah, the promised Messiah, and everything the Bible says about him, and particularly in the Gospel of John here. They don't want to listen to him. He did many mighty deeds to prove who he is. Yes. But they didn't like it because it detracted from their status amongst their religious peers in Israel. Right. That's why they run willing. It's very clear in the Gospel of John. And then it says, in because look at verse 41. But I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. Verse 43, John 5, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. Verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another, you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Now, and go back to the prologue. Go back to John 1. The very glory. Yeah. The, the eternal glory of the, the Son who's face to face with the Father, John 1.1. 1, 1. Yes. Okay. This is what they don't receive. Now, we can go forward again. But if you think about it, uh, Jessica, you mentioned the resurrection of Lazarus after the fourth day. Right. On the fourth day when he was stinking up the tomb. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we had a service, I think, on Good Friday, and I was speaking and went to John chapter 12. You know what happened? They tried to kill him again. They wanted to kill him again. He died, <laughs> was rotting, was raised by Jesus, and then they were plotting to kill him. Why? Because they said, well, now everybody's going to believe. Right. They were worried that people would follow Jesus based on the resurrection of Lazarus, and the reason for their worry was the glory of man, which is what Jesus is talking about here in John 5. Yeah. They were saying, well, if this, the, the, the Romans, are, they're going to take away our place. They're going to take away our status. Yeah. We're going to lose our power and our authority and our status. And so we better kill Lazarus. Right. Which they didn't, I don't believe they got that done. That's what they wanted. So, that's what Jesus says here. Uh, before the fact, what happened with Lazarus? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? In other words, we're saying to one another, oh, we're the great. You're, isn't it great? Aren't we great teachers? Isn't it great the long robes and all the authority we have? And they're afraid Rome will take away their status. Right. So you do not seek the glory that's from the one and only God. Verse 45 of John chapter 5. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you had believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Verse 47. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And again, we're right back to the issue is unbelief. Words. Yes. The Ten Commandments we talked about. Ten words. These, this distinction between information in the mind versus revelation in the heart, which is quite popular in evangelicalism, is somewhat misleading. Yes. Because... What's spoken of in the Word of God is the Word of God. Right. The mind we read and believe 
we could fast with our mouth according to John, excuse me, Romans 10. We believe, we trust him. It's all the same word as true. We're trying to divide, divide the person up internally between spirit and soul or heart and mind and whatever is really artificial. It's the whole person. The whole person is alienated from God. The whole person hears the word of God, thinks about it, and the word of God is what penetrates to the heart, if you want to use that term, and we believe it. The problem is they didn't believe. Right. The problem is a lack of a revelation. The revelation was standing right in front of them. Yes. They didn't believe it. Right. And they had the reason they didn't believe is because they loved the glory of man. They had status between each other. They had religious status in the eyes of man and man-made religion, but they didn't want to have true status, which is being sons of God through regeneration by believing the very word of God. Yes. Which is relational. Okay. So we're saying that Dutch Sheets has given us false categories. He's denied that the Bible as it is, is revelation. And that the problem is unbelief, not a lack of some further uh, spiritual internal revelation through a religious process. Right. Now, to prove that even more, notice what Jesus said, as I just cited, 46 and 47 of John 5, which Judge Sheets brought up. For if you believe Moses, you believe me, he wrote about me. Where did Moses write about Jesus? Well, I happen to have the answer to that. All right. We're going to go to Deuteronomy 18. Okay. And there, here at Deuteronomy 18, there's a warning about false prophets. All right. False prophets who came and did signs and wonders, but they taught other gods, were not to be believed, even if the signs and wonders came true. Okay. And if they had bad fruits. And so they have Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 18, and there's warning. There's warning about spiritists, diviner, secret spiritual information. It's not objectively from God's authoritative spokesperson, which in this case is Moses. Now, in the same Deuteronomy 18, we go to verse 18. Actually, verse 15 says the same thing. I'll read verse 15, and then we'll go to 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your countrymen. You shall listen to him. Now let's go to verse 18. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak them to them all that I command him. And it will come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Okay. Deuteronomy 18.20. That's exactly what Jesus is saying in John 5. Right. Jesus is claiming to be that prophet Moses wrote about. Yep. He's claiming to speak the very words of God. And he's claiming that if they don't listen to his words, it'll be required of them. In other words, they'll come under judgment. That's what Moses said. Right. So if you take Deuteronomy 18 and compare 
the fulfillment is happening in John chapter 5, uh, you see in verse 45, do not think I will accuse you before the Father, the one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you set your hope. Yes. We, we cited John 12, 48. The one that will judge him. My words will judge you. Right. Don't listen. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is the greater Moses, God incarnate, fully human and fully God, who speaks the very words of God, who is the fulfillment of Moses' prediction that God would raise up a prophet, the prophet, the great prophet, the very Messiah, the Son of God, and they don't want to listen to his words. The problem isn't that they didn't have revelation. Okay. Judge Sheets says that's the problem. Right. It's information. No, it is revelation. It's confronting them. It's objective. And evidentially, they can't reject it because later they wanted to kill Lazarus. That's enough evidence. Yes. Yet Lazarus walking around after he was stinking up the tomb on the fourth day. So um, they just had hard hearts. They don't want to believe it. Right. And so when we're looking here in this book, in accessory prayer, pages 182, 183, the categories are wrong. Right. Uh, tragically wrong. Okay. Uh, horribly wrong. Fearfully wrong. So much so that it'll cause people to doubt that the Bible is the very word of God. Exactly. Well, so at issue here is, can we understand God's word for what it says without some extra biblical revelation or finding out what's going on in the spirit world? And that really should remind us of Genesis 3. Do you want to kind of just walk us through the yeah. account of the fall? And we'll see how it really does boil down to we can we know and understand the word of God? Yeah, questioning what God said. Yes. So Moses, what he said was questioned. Korah did. The critics of Jesus questioned that he spoke for God. Well, let's go back to the original question, which was in, introduced by the serpent. Genesis three, starting with verse one. Okay. Assuming our listeners have know the story of creation in Genesis one and two. There's okay. a tree they're not supposed to eat of. Right. Okay. God is God. God has spoken. Yep. So Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent, more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. So he's questioning the word of God. Right. Now this is what God said that you, they shouldn't eat of that one. But let's read on. The woman said to the serpent, from the true fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. So as many have pointed out, she was partially right, but she added to the word. Right. Now, it's pretty clear, both in the Old Testament under Moses, that we're not to add to it. And at the very end of Revelation, talks about those who add to it. Yes. They're in trouble. Right. So she's already in trouble because she's willing to add to it. Okay. Now let's go on. Verse four, the serpent said to the woman, 
you surely will not die. So he re rejects it. Yes. He lies. Yeah. How many of you know the devil's a liar? <laughs> right. But th through the serpent, he lies. Now let's go to verse 5. See how he pulls off his lie. For the Lord knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the point here is you need to have an experiential knowledge of evil, and you'll find out it's not as bad as you thought. Right. Disobey God, eat from it, and you'll have an experience. Okay. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Right now, you know you know that God said this is forbidden. Right. We haven't experienced it. Okay. You only know what God said. Now, they were better off only knowing what God said. And we are better off only knowing what God said. Right. But Dutch Sheets is claiming that's just the information. Right. The revelation comes later. Yes. I, when I was reading those pages in Sheets' book, I, I went, my mind went right back to Genesis 3. Okay. He is so wrong, so fundamentally wrong, so tragically wrong, so horribly wrong. He's repeating this same air. So let's just read on. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that it was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. So they were conscience of sin. Right. They were no longer um, at peace with their situation in Eden, right with God, not sensing guilt. And they thought, Eve thought, that she would gain something valuable. The delight to the eyes Desirable to make one's wise, good for food. Some have pointed out that may certainly correspond to the temptations that Jesus went through and also the categories in First John. I don't know if that's speculative, but it seems to fit. Okay. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Right, it does. The pride of life. I've written about that. I think at the very, very least, that's certainly true. Yes. And so here's all the temptations in one. And she's able to experience what it is to be a sinner and get, gain everything that she was lacking. Okay. Other than being right with God. Right. And now having experiential, experiential knowledge of evil. And then as it goes on, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And then uh, they hid themselves from God. So they separated from God. Uh, the Lord Yahweh called out to them, where are you? Uh, I was afraid. I was naked, so I hid myself. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? The woman you gave me did it. She gave it to me. Said to the woman, what, what is this you've done? The serpent to see me. So they start passing. But now they're sinners blaming somebody else. Right. Okay. There's the fall. Okay. This is the same issue. Is 
the fact, thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day of that you eat of it, you'll die, the word of God, or does do they need an experiential event to happen so that they know that so they know something they don't know? And and here's the thing. So they went for the experiential event and it ended badly. And that is true of us too. When we go seeking these spiritual experiences, it may seem good at the outset, but we're not equipped to be in the spirit realm. It ends badly for us too. Right. So you go where you're not equipped. And when you get there, you end up with worse deception. Right. So I see that going on here in uh, this book that we're reading. It's so many popular theologies. They deny whether the word of God means what it says, and it is the revelation. Right. It doesn't become that. And so we don't need the experiential knowledge of evil. Frankly, we've already had that. Right. We need to believe what God said. So there with the, in the garden is this denial of the objectivity of divine revelation by the very words of God. Yes. Jesus spoke the very words of God, says in John 12, 48, they will be our judge in the last day if we don't believe him. Right. And really, Satan was tempting Eve with revelation. Okay, exactly. So here I am reading intercessory prayer, pages 182-183, and this whole thing comes right up again. How many Christians have read these and thought that sheets make sense? Apparently over 600,000. Blatant rejection of the Bible as the very word of God. Yes. This is liberalism, neo-orthodoxy. This is a repeat of of the garden. Yeah. Uh, it's just information until you go get the revelation. And ironically, in page 182, he, he mentions the fall. Yeah. Quest for meaning ever since the fall. Well, yeah. Well, but meaning, it wasn't a quest for meaning, it was a quest for extra biblical revelation. Yeah. Meaning is to, given by God. The Bible means what it says. Yes. You don't have to go get a secondary revelation to find out the meaning. Right. Uh, so this is so sad. I realize having, we've talked to how many people that have contacted us as we've gone through these various uh, podcasts. Yeah. And many are coming to see the truth. Right. And they're telling us that their friends are still caught in this. Yeah. And when we've asked some, well, how is it that your friends are still caught in it? What, what goes on? At the, what happens? And what keeps people in it? Well, stories. Right. Okay. You have an experience. The meetings are based on producing experiences. The music is there to produce an experience. And we're not against music, but uh, we have a few further things we'll say about that at some point. Yeah. Uh, trying to create some sort of a exciting experience that seems spiritual because believing what God said seems so ordinary. Yes. And then so they don't even teach the clear word of God. 
They just tell stories about experiences. Right. Well, guess what? Adam and Eve had a story about their experience that they told Yahweh. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we're actually, when we come back uh, here next week, the next section is talking about birthing true repentance, and he uses a story. Well, another story, dear ones, search the scriptures. They speak about Christ and Messianic salvation and the promises of God. They're objectively true. Yes. All right. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramus. And Bob Dewey. We'll see you next week. <laughs>